Peace be upon you. So one of the most iconic figures of the 1920s was Charlie Chaplin. He was so popular that it wasn't uncommon for carnivals and fairs to host Charlie Chaplin lookalike contests. Well, one day, the real Charlie Chaplin came across one of these contests and thought it would be funny to secretly enter and not disclose his real identity until after he won. Except that never came to fruition because he ended up coming in 20th place. This means that 19 other imposters were able to better impersonate Charlie Chaplin than Charlie Chaplin himself. So how did this happen? If you ever happen to go to Pier 39 in San Francisco, a common attraction is the line of street artists drawing caricatures of paying customers. Their magic lays in their ability to be able to look at an individual and in a matter of seconds distill the unique character traits that define them. Then, by overemphasizing these key features, the caricature in certain ways becomes even more representative of the original subject than the subject themselves. And I believe this is how the real Charlie Chaplin lost in his own lookalike contest. The people who were impersonating Chaplin were so overemphasizing the essence of the character that they were viewed as even more Charlie Chaplin-esque than the real thing. And by hyper-focusing on the unique qualities of Charlie Chaplin and amplifying these qualities, they were able to tap into the essence of Charlie Chaplin even more so than the real individual. And this is a common theme in life where we see individuals prefer the imitation over the real thing. For decades, the dominance of McDonald's franchise has set the standard for how people believe French fries should taste. Because of this expectation, most burger franchises have attempted to mimic the taste profile set by McDonald's French fries or suffered the inevitable disappointment from their customers. And this feedback loop has only reinforced the consumer's belief on how french fries should taste. The problem is that McDonald's has spent endless sums of money to hire world-leading scientists and professional tasters to chemically transform the simple potato to create the most desirable tasting french fry that can be mass-produced, stored, and preserved for the millions of consumers across the globe. In the 1990s, In-N-Out Burger started expanding locations into the Bay Area. And for those who aren't familiar with In-N-Out, their appeal was that their food was not processed and was made with simple ingredients, prepared on-site and not frozen or modified for mass production. While their burgers were a huge success, their number one complaint any time they established a new location was towards their fries. Because unlike other fast food chains, In-N-Out would make their fries in-house from raw potatoes that they would hand crank through a press. So the end product was just the potatoes and not the McDonald's style of lab synthesized fries that people were so accustomed to. So when consumers were presented with the actual natural potatoes fried and made into french fries, they objected and instead yearned for the synthesized version that they'd become accustomed to over the years. But this isn't just about potatoes and fries. This applies to just about every single food. Take the consideration of a simple apple. The first wild apples originated in Kazakhstan. From the multitude of varieties found in the region, most were not all that enjoyable to eat. But eventually, some people selected a breed that they found tasty. 
Then someone had the idea, well, why don't we take only the tastiest apples from these trees and plant those seeds? And as this process continued, the apples that were being produced were sweeter and tastier than the ones before. As apples proliferated, people started to extract the best parts of the apple that they found the tastiest, and they made those into jams and juices. Then they started adding sugar to these apples and packaging them into pastries and pies. Eventually, someone had the idea to try to synthesize the key character traits of the apple taste to formulate the ideal flavor of an apple without any apples. This led to things like apple-flavored gums and candies and drinks that have all the essence of apples, but no apples whatsoever in their ingredients. So now we have generations of people who are raised on these false pretenses of what the taste of apple actually is. So imagine you take the average person and send them to Kazakhstan and have them eat the original wild apple. What would they think? I would guess that they may be unable to recognize the original apple and prefer the imitation flavor that they've been raised on over the real thing. And this process of being conditioned to prefer the fake over the authentic has infiltrated every aspect of our lives. Consider what this has done to our understanding of beauty. In the past, a person would take a photo, and as long as they were smiling and their eyes were open, we would have considered the photo a success. And if a person really wanted to make themselves look their best, they might have hired a professional photographer. But even then, the impact of such things could have had on a person's appearance was limited. But contrast this to today, where even the most novice photographer can run any picture through a multitude of filters and effects and in a matter of seconds, transform a simple photo to an unrecognizable reality. Now look at the millions of selfies that are taken every single day, that Individuals have endless degrees of freedom to alter and adjust the image to create the version of themselves that is flawless and enhanced, a sort of perfect avatar representation of themselves without any authenticity. With a simple click, they can make their eyes bigger and clean up the whiteness of their eyes. They can reshape their jawline and smooth out their skin. They can reshape their nose and eyebrows and numerous other modifications. Eventually, the end result is a person that does not exist in reality. Yet the people who create these images begin to adore their imitation selves over the person they really are. While this mostly impacts women, there's other consequences to this preference towards the fake that is plaguing men as well. Sex is something that regularly occupies the mind of many men. But these days, the ideas of what transpires during sex has been utterly destroyed through the horrendous depictions that are carried out in modern-day pornography. In the past, a man would see a racy photo of a woman showing a little too much skin, and that would be enough to get their heart racing. Fast forward to today, and people have become so desensitized, so inundated with the smut that is created that unless it is the most over-the-top filth, they are not pleased. And this false depiction that has infiltrated their brains sets the expectation for many men to what they think a sexual experience should encompass. And this severely destroys a man's ability to have a satisfying sexual relationship with their spouse. Porn's impact on the brain is much like a drug addiction. 
Individuals who consume pornography have to constantly push the envelope of the content they view in order to get the same level of stimulation they have when they first started this bad habit. This porn addiction is causing a generation of men to be dissatisfied with the sacred act of sex in real life because it fails to live up to the illusions that they have created from watching porn. This has gotten so bad that many young married men who overindulge in porn now fail to be interested in the real life wives that God has given them. So when presented with the option of their spouses or porn, sadly many men choose the fantasy of porn over the real thing. And as for the men who are not married, porn is creating an epidemic of incels who have fostered hatred towards women because they fail to match the illusions that they came to expect through indulging in pornography. In Surah 30 verse 21, it reads, Among his proofs is that he created for you spouses from among yourselves in order to have tranquility and contentment with each other. And he placed in your hearts a love and care towards your spouses. In this, there are sufficient proofs for people who think. So when men start consuming porn, they lose this tranquility and contentment that God has placed into their spouses because they start chasing an illusion that is not there. And when they have the real thing, they're not able to be satisfied with what they have. This mentality of preferring the imitation over the real thing has far-reaching effects beyond personal lives of individuals. As we just noted, this is causing societal problems for generations to come and has even infiltrated the realms of civil law, politics, and even international affairs through the synthesizing of news as it is being spewed by corporate media. In the past, reporters would read the news and attempt to present the facts in an unbiased manner. Then, individuals had the idea to add some color to the news, to make them more exciting, more sensationalized. Then, some people decided that while we have their attention, let's try to frame the narrative in a way that our readers want to hear. Eventually, the stories that are covered by the media are so sensationalized, so overdramatized, so taken out of context that it becomes unrecognizable from the truth. And the funny thing is, when presented with the real facts, most of the viewers who have gulped down the, the mainstream narrative fail to even acknowledge the truth when they see it. A clear example of this was the 2021 Kyle Rittenhouse case. For those who aren't familiar, Kyle Rittenhouse was a 17-year-old kid who was charged with first-degree intentional homicide as well as a number of other charges during the BLM protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin on August 25, 2020. Before the trial, and sadly even after the trial, most all major news sources made him out to be the aggressor in the altercations and labeled him as a white supremacist who was out to kill black people. Except none of this was true. When the trial took place and both sides presented their evidence and the witnesses came forth, we saw that the entire media narrative fell apart. They claimed that Kyle Rittenhouse crossed state lines to, to join the protest, ends up his father lived blocks away and uh, he was living with them and worked in the area. They said he didn't lawfully possess the gun, ends up that despite the law being slightly ambiguous, he went above and beyond to possess the gun lawfully. They said that he shot black people, but ends up all the people he shot were white. They said he was the aggressor, but ends up all three people that were shot by him were the aggressors in each incident. This includes the first culprit, who was 
was a child molester who just got released from the mental hospital, literally carrying his bag in his uh, uh, hand as he's attacking Kyle, that he was on suicidal watch before. And this guy ambushes him, grabs the barrel of his gun after threatening to kill him multiple times, which is also on video. One of the other individuals who was shot but survived, who was the key witness, ends up that this guy had an illegal uh, concealed carry. That not only that, that he pulled the gun, he was the one who pulled the gun on Kyle Rittenhouse after he was already attacked and on the ground, and that Kyle withdrew his gun when the individual did and didn't shoot him in the bicep until he pulled the gun on Kyle again. Not only that, but during his testimony, it also came out that he was a Marxist revolutionary and that he had a multi-million dollar lawsuit against the Kenosha Police Department that was highly dependent on Kyle being found guilty. Rittenhouse was so falsely portrayed by the media that the prosecutor blatantly broke numerous ethics violations in an attempt to try to have the court a mistrial. And when the judge refused to declare a mistrial, the producer from a major news organization attempted to follow and dox the jurors on one of the last days of the trial in a desperate attempt to get a mistrial or at least intimidate the jurors enough to not give the not guilty verdict that everyone was expecting. But despite the fact that all this evidence is readily available, you still have numerous news agencies and coalitions of people declaring that Kyle Rittenhouse was the murderer, that he was the aggressor in this situation, that even when faced with reality, people are in utter denial. And despite the fact that the trial is readily available online, all the evidence is there for anyone who wants to look, groups of people are still utterly sticking to the false narrative that Rittenhouse was the aggressor in these altercations. This ordeal was not much different than the Covington Catholic High School student, Nicholas Sandman, who had his life temporarily destroyed from a false narrative that was portrayed by a multitude of news agencies indicating that he was a harasser of a Native American protester from a viral video in 2019 March of Life rally in Washington, D.C. This ended with a large settlement for Sandman against the news organizations that propagated this false narrative. These are not isolated cases. The corporate news media has sensationalized so much news that almost nothing they claim should be believed. From Trump-Russia collusion to the blatant nonstop lies about COVID to their ongoing fear-mongering regarding catastrophic global warming, the problem is that even when people are presented with the real facts, they are still in disbelief of what they previously believed to be false, and they want to stick to the false narrative rather than the reality at hand. In December 2021, Joe Rogan interviewed the journalist Matt Taibbi. During the interview, Taibbi made the following prescient comment regarding the shift in journalism. And I'm going to quote, it says, Once upon a time, the idea within the news business was pretty simple. Reporters were raised, basically, we will get the facts. We will work really hard on getting it right. We will give it to you. Then you do what you want with it. It's not our job to tell you what decisions to make. It's just our job to get it correct. And that is the news. After that, it's up to you to make your own political decisions. And this is why political affiliation didn't necessarily mean so much in that day.
It was always true that basically all reporters were Democrats, but it didn't show so much in the news media once upon a time. Because we had a professional ethos that just said we are not supposed to care. We go into cover whatever, we are just going to collect all the facts, get all the quotes, put it all out there, make sure everything has been checked, and then it's your deal. Now there's this new ethos, what Wesley Lauer, the reporter, calls view from nowhere journalism, which is what I just described, that is not good enough. That they have to compensate for inequalities in the system by basically trying to impact how people behave through coverage. And this is what they do all the time. They're trying to get you to make political decisions by how they cover things. And I saw this early on as a campaign reporter. When I was much younger in 2004 and 2008, I would sit on the bus and with the reporters they would be discussing which candidates they were going to describe as fringe, which ones they were going to describe as electable, which ones would be serious, right because they enjoyed having the power of deciding for people who got to be taken seriously and who didn't. And I think that urge to mold how people act is ingrained in the business. And that was a quote from Matt Taby uh, during a Joe Rogan interview. And the whole concept is, you know, in the past, you used to have the news just report the facts. Now they have to imbue their political opinions into that news to cater to their audiences. And their audiences who want to hear that narrative are going to be in absolute disbelief when presented with the real facts because they want the imitation, they want the fake reality to be the true one. That's the one that they want to pursue. And this has become a problem across the board in every single facet of our lives. In Surah 17, verse 36, it says, You shall not accept any information unless you verify it for yourself. I have given you the hearing, the eyesight, and the brain, and you're responsible for using them. Except the challenge is most people want to turn off their brain. They want to cover their eyes. They want to put their fingers in their ears. And when presented with reality, they still disbelieve. But all this is peanuts compared to what this processing of reality has done to religion. Consider when Jesus came, he preached the worship of God alone. Yet today, if you study Christianity, you see that 300 years after his death, people have set him up as God incarnate as part of a trinity. In Surah 5 verse 17, it reads, Pagans indeed are those who say that God is the Messiah, the Son of Mary. Say, who could oppose God if he will to annihilate the Messiah, the Son of Mary, and his mother, and everyone on earth. To God belongs the sovereignty of the heavens and the earth, and everything between them. He creates whatever he wills. God is omniscient. In Surah 5, verse 72 and 73, it reads, Pagans indeed are those who say that God is the Messiah, Son of Mary. The Messiah himself said, O children of Israel, you shall worship God, my Lord, and your Lord. Anyone who sets up any idols beside God, God has forbidden paradise for him, and his destiny is hell. The wicked have no helpers. Pagans indeed are those who say that God is a third of a trinity. There is no God except the one God, unless they refrain from saying this. Those who disbelieve among them will incur a painful retribution. How did this happen? How did Jesus, the prophet of God, get transformed in the eyes of billions of people to be considered the begotten Son of God as well as God Himself. Jesus came and preached the worship of God alone. Some people were impressed not only with Jesus' message, but with Jesus Himself and the miracles that He was able to produce by God's leave.
People started emphasizing Jesus and elevating his status. Eventually, Jesus the man becomes more important than Jesus' message. Then people started ascribing divinity to Jesus. Then someone said that Jesus was God's begotten son. But this created a contradiction that God is one. So eventually they claimed that Jesus and God are one. Chances are that if the real Jesus came back today, not only would he not recognize the religion that spawned from his name, he would probably be killed and crucified by the very people who claim to worship him. This is because his supposed followers prefer the falsehood instead of the truth. In Surah 5 verse 116 and 117, we read the response from Jesus on the day of resurrection. It reads, God will say, O Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to the people, make me and my mother idols beside God? He will say, be you glorified. I could not utter what was not right. Had I said it, you already would have known it. You know my thoughts and I do not know your thoughts. You know all secrets. I told them only what you commanded me to say, that you shall worship God, my Lord and your Lord. I was a witness among them for as long as I lived with them. When you terminated my life on earth, you became the watcher over them. You witness all things. To think Jesus has no clue that people have morphed his message to being about worship of God alone, to being calling Jesus the Son of God, and part of a trinity. He's going to be completely in disbelief on the day of judgment about what people have done with his message. What happened to the religion depicted in the Quran is not much different than what happened with Christianity. When the Quran was revealed, the entire religion was founded and defined by the verses of the Quran. Ironically, the group that is most widely addressed in the Quran is the children of Israel which happens to probably be the group that is the most repulsed by it. So how did this happen? The Quran was sent down in Arabic to the Arab people as a test for the children of Israel. But over time, more and more of the religion that the Quran promulgated was being overwritten by the culture of the Arabs. Today, the majority of the writings on the religion of Islam is not about the verses of the Quran, but mostly about the supposed customs and traditions of the Arab people who lived during the time of the revelation. This is best depicted in the volumes and volumes of hadith that have been collected and used as the alternate foundation for this religion. This has gotten so out of hand that Muslims cannot recognize the message of the Quran anymore, even when it's recited to them in their own language, because people's Perceptions have been so morphed by the false ideologies that have taken precedent from the Hadith over the Quran. When we become accustomed to the imitation, we become incapable to recognize the truth to the point that even when it's presented, people still continue to deny the facts and prefer the falsehood. Consider the Shahada, the testimony that is meant to be the first pillar and foundation of the religion of the Quran. Over 30 times in the Quran, it states that the Shahada is simply there is no God beside God, or some variation of that. In Surah 3 verse 18, it reads, God bears witness that there is no God except He, and so do the angels and those who possess knowledge. Truthfully and equitably, He is the absolute God. There is no God but He, the Almighty, most wise. So here God is telling us this is the Shahada of God, the angels, and the knowledgeable. Yet despite this, the average Muslim still believes the claims that the Shahada is there is no God beside God and Muhammad is a messenger of God. Even when it's shown through the verses of the Quran that not only are there major issues with this Shahada, but that God tells us in the Quran that such a Shahada 
bearing witness that Muhammad is a messenger of God, is the testimony of the hypocrites. In Surah 63, which is entitled The Hypocrites, verse 1 states, When the hypocrites come to you, they say, We bear witness that you are a messenger of God. God knows that you are his messenger, and God bears witness that the hypocrites are liars. So God is telling us that this shahada is the shahada of the hypocrites. Yet how many millions of Muslims cling to this shahada despite God telling us that the shahada of God, the angels, and the knowledgeable is simply, there is no God except God. So this shows that the millions of followers of Hadith prefer the false shahada rather than the shahada of God, the angels, and the knowledgeable. In Surah 39, verse 45, it says, When God alone, Allah Wahdahu, is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. But when others are mentioned beside him, they become satisfied. If individuals are only satisfied when the imitation shahada is presented that mentions other names beside God, then it shows that they've completely chosen falsehood over the truth. And there's one last example I want to give of individuals preferring the imitation over the real thing. And this one is the most critical of them all. Single-handedly, one of the biggest false constructs that billions of people have adopted over the many, many years is that this world is the real life. That we live, we die, and we will never be resurrected and held to account. And this false ideology that this world is the real life as opposed to the hereafter makes millions of people yearn and strive to make the most of this world while neglecting their entire share in all of eternity in the hereafter. God describes such people that they forgot themselves, that they put so much emphasis in this brief interim we're here on this planet, that they're willing to forego all of eternity, all of salvation, all of paradise in order to have this temporary joy in this world. In Surah 23, verse 33 through 38, it reads, The leaders among his people who disbelieved and rejected the idea of the hereafter, although we provided for them generously in this life, said, This is no more than a human being like you. He eats from what you eat and drinks as you drink. If you obey a human being like you, you are really losers. Does he promise you that after you die and turn into dust and bones, you will come out again? Impossible. Impossible indeed is what he promised you. We only live this life. We live and die and we will never be resurrected. He is just a man who fabricated lies and attributed them to God. We will never believe in him. Here are the leaders of just about every single community making the same testimony. That despite the fact that God has blessed them generously, they deny the fact of the hereafter and they put all their eggs in the basket of this life. And this is one of the biggest manipulations of truth that we see people fall into in this world. That they think that they are to live for only this world. Everything they do or aim to achieve is for this world. While they are totally neglecting all their future eternity in the hereafter. In Surah 29, verse 64, it says, This worldly life is no more than vanity and play, while the abode of the hereafter is the real life, if they only knew. In Surah 40, verse 39, it reads, O my people, this first life is a temporary illusion, while the hereafter is the eternal abode. How many people hear the message that this world is strictly a test to see how we do in the hereafter? Are we going to end up in heaven or hell? Yet how many people neglect this hereafter for this world? 
In Surah 89, verse 23 through 30, it says, On that day, Gehenna will be brought forth. On that day, the human being will remember, but what a remembrance it will be too late. He will say, Oh, I wish I prepared for my eternal life. On that day, no retribution could be worse than his retribution, and no confinement as effective as his confinement. As for you, O content soul, return to your Lord pleased and pleasing. Welcome into my servants. Welcome into my paradise. How many billions of people have thrown away this opportunity to have eternal bliss in this world and in the hereafter in order to chase the vanities of this worldly life? And this is the biggest delusion of them all. That when presented with evidence of the hereafter, told and informed that this is what we should be striving for, how many people say, no, I prefer the imitation of this life. I prefer to do the things that are going to benefit me here, and I could care less what happens to me in the hereafter. In Surah 57 verse 20, it reads, Know that this worldly life is no more than play and games and boasting among you and hoarding of money and children. It is like abundant rain that produces plants that pleases the disbelievers. But then the plants turn into useless hay that are blown away by the wind. In the hereafter, there is either severe retribution or forgiveness from God and approval. This worldly life is no more than a temporary illusion. This entire episode, we saw how people preferred the illusion over reality. They preferred falsehood over truth. The challenge is that when we start going down that path, we become incapable of being able to identify truth when we see it. A sign of belief is that we recognize the truth when it's presented to us. In Surah 22 verse 54, it reads, Those who are blessed with knowledge will recognize the truth from your Lord. And then believe in it, and their hearts will readily accept it. Most assuredly, God guides the believers in the right path. A sign of a believer is that they gravitate towards the truth. They gravitate towards what's good and righteous. But a sign of someone on the wrong path is that when they struggle to be able to determine what is right, what is wrong, what is justice, what is injustice, what's moral, what's immoral, in Surah 13, verse 19, it reads, Is one who recognizes that your Lord's revelations to you are the truth equal to one who is blind. Only those who possess intelligence will take heed. We need to open our eyes to be able to recognize the truth. And the way that we do that is we have to strive to be sincere, to be righteous, that God can open up our hearts, God can open up our eyes. So when we see injustice, when we see immorality, we're repulsed by it. But when we see truth, we see justice, we see righteousness, we gravitate towards this. These fake constructs of reality that we form for ourselves destroy our ability from being able to distinguish truth from falsehood. While in short term, this can make truth unrecognizable, but over time, if not corrected, can make a person start preferring the falsehood over the truth. In Surah 7 verse 146, it reads, I will divert from my revelations those who are arrogant on earth without justification. Consequently, when they see every kind of proof, they will not believe. And when they see the path of guidance, they will not adopt it as their path. But when they see the path of straying, they will adopt it as their path. This is the consequence of their rejecting our proofs and being totally heedless thereof. So God willing, let's not make the same mistakes of the people of the past. Let's be conscientious of our Lord. Let's always stand on the side of truth 
and when presented between truth and falsehood, always pick the side of truth. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions or want to find like-minded individuals, please join us on our Discord server. You can find the link below. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And until next time, peace and God bless.